Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio Hi, I'm Anna Thomas, and let me tell you about my podcast, Apple for the Teacher. It sure sounds like it's about reading, writing, and arithmetic, but don't let the title fool you. I'm a teacher from Australia and tell true crime stories associated with schools, which go far beyond shootings and teacher sexual misconduct. If you're like me, you may feel that you know enough about some high-profile cases, such as Ted Bundy and the Zodiac Killer. Apple for the Teacher presents lesser-known stories, such as albino student murder in Africa, schoolgirl sexual slavery in Libya, a school suicide bombing in Pakistan, a student murdered and buried in his school in India, a teacher beheaded in France, Polish teachers executed by the Nazis, just to name a few. But you'll also find school-based tragedies, such as a school bus stranded in a snowstorm, a school wiped out by a landslide, the drowning of students in a sinking ship. It can be described as a mixed bag of diverse stories. So if you're looking for something a little different in the true crime genre, then give it a listen. And I hope you can join me soon. But until then, remember to be a good apple. The promo you just heard is from a podcast called Apple for the Teacher, if you didn't notice, that is a very unique true crime podcast, so go check that out. This episode is on the death of DJ Ficky, but I have a special guest with me. Amanda Shirley has come on to help guide us through this pretty deep case. The reason she is the expert is because DJ was her brother, and I have had the pleasure of being friends with Amanda for quite a long time, and and I finally get the chance to sit down and talk to her about her brother's case. Now, since we are friends, this is a little bit more casual. So, normal disclaimer, if you don't like language, probably not your best idea to listen to this episode. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast, and I am here with a friend of mine named Amanda, and we're going to be talking about the death of DJ Ficky. And Amanda knows this case inside and out better than anybody does, so I wanted to have her on the podcast because she can get a lot more in-depth with it. She knows, like I said, the ins and outs. Little do people know, this is the second time we have had the first couple minutes of this conversation because I forgot to hit the fucking record button, so there's that. But uh, me and Amanda have known each other for a couple years now. We met down in, uh, what was it, Tennessee or New Orleans? It was New Orleans. That's easy to forget, New Orleans. New Orleans? I don't know. It was. I like New Orleans just because I love the city in general. So I had a. I like the history of it and all that kind of stuff. 
that's actually what I wanted to get to do when we went. I wanted to have a little bit of time to go, you know, like explore the city and everything, but didn't get to do it. So it doesn't matter, you know. I got DJ Story out there. That's the only thing that matters to me. Now that's all that matters. You were a busy woman, though, weren't you? Yes, I was. It's all for the right purpose, so it's worth it. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, Amanda, to get us started, um, tell us a little bit about DJ, you know, who he was, what kind of person he was. Well, I'm not going to go into this and say that he would light up a room, because that's what everybody always says about everyone that died. I will say that he was the type of person that would make you laugh your ass off he was a prankster. Like it was like April Fool's Day every day with him. Um, That's awesome. Just, you know, picking at people, aggravating them, just fucking with them. He he liked. He was. He had just got into MMA fight. The MMA fighting. He loved mm-hmm. doing that. He went to a couple of fights. He he lost one. He won one. But he he loved it and he wanted to start training. You know and everything. But he didn't get that chance. But he had three kids when he when he, when he was killed. He had three kids. There were two. One was two, and one uh, set of twins were one. Married for two years, and nothing but drama from the time he got married till the time of his death. Now take us down the road of the day in question. What happened? Well, I'll have to back up a little bit before the day that, day that it happened. Um, like I for said, sure. he had been married for two years. to a, it, was, it was a girl that he had went to school with. They wasn't like close while they were in school but they had after they got out of school they kept running into each other at you know different houses and hangout places and everything and they ended up dating and an unplanned pregnancy came out of it after the baby the first baby was born they got married and it was um august of 2014 and like i said it was toxic from day one they both had a drug issue the wife mm-hmm. more so than DJ. It was like when DJ got with the wife, the drug problem just kind of spiraled out of control there. But uh, mm-hmm. that was their main problem was the drug the drug use. But uh, about a year into their marriage, the wife had actually start, started seeing someone like having an affair on DJ with a, a drug dealer. And it just so happened the house that they were staying at, it was a, it was a known drug house. The house that they were staying at, the drug dealer had moved a camper onto the property, and that's who she had started having an affair with. So DJ didn't, you know, he didn't like leaving her there by herself. Because if DJ ever left her, she would literally like spiral out of control. This girl, I have a picture of her. Just in a month, she like went from a healthy looking girl to looking like a skeleton from the drug use when, you know, DJ was out of the picture. So DJ was like her, like, what, what am I trying to say here? Like her cutoff, you know? He he made sure she didn't go too far with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the guy was mean. He was physical. He put his hands on her. He was a lot older than her. She was 20, I think she was 23, and he was 43. So it was a big difference there. And she was only, you know, she only went with him for the drugs. Yeah. But uh, DJ, knew about, DJ knew about the affair. Um, she would go back and forth between... This guy and DJ should go to this guy, DJ. I mean, back and forth for for over for a year. Why did Why did DJ stick with her? He loved her. I we tried to tell him for years. You know, the whole time we they were together, we was like, you know, she's she's bad for you, DJ. You got to get away from that. You know, she's ruining your life. She's she's dragging you down. 
you've got three kids, you know, this is what's important. But he always said that he loved her, you know, he had her back and he'd always have her back. I, I've known plenty of people in those situations before. And it's, you know, looking from the outside in, it's easy to say this, that, and the other. But when you're actually in that situation, you know, it's kind of understandable. I, I mean, I get it too. DJ grew up in a family that, you know, our mom and dad were together before my dad died. They were they were about to celebrate their 32nd wedding anniversary. So we, you know, we had a normal good family, you know, that stuck together. And so I think that that's what DJ wanted. He didn't want to have a family that wasn't together. And so he was just trying to push through it. But the we're, we're working up to the day of October the 3rd. So about two weeks before October the 3rd, DJ starts sending messages out to people trying to find somewhere else to go. And he would he would go somewhere and get away from that place, and he would end up right back with her again, He'd back over there with her again. It just it makes more sense now, looking back at all the stuff he did, than it does, you know, at the time. Because at the time, nobody took him serious. Because, you know, when people are on drugs and stuff, they, what is the word, they're paranoid, they take oh, shit yeah. to the extremes, you know, all that shit. So you don't believe anything they say half the time. And it wasn't, un, it was not unheard of for DJ and this other guy to be physical. Like, they got in altercations the last two weeks of his life. There was an incident where DJ was in the shower and the guy comes in with a knife and puts a knife to his throat. There's another incident where DJ's walking out of the house going down the steps, and the dude jumps in with the ball bat. You know, DJ picks up a golf club out of the yard, and they start fighting it out. DJ ends up knocking his te- one of his teeth out, and the guy goes in the house, and he tells somebody that he's going to fucking kill him. This was just three days before he was killed. And then there was two nights before DJ was killed. DJ and Brady had got back together. They were back together. They were sitting outside in a swing outside of the guy's camper, and they were to- just talking to each other. And DJ had told her she was beautiful, and she had said, you're a liar. And apparently, the dude thought she was calling him a liar because he was eavesdropping from the camper. Hmm. He comes out of the camper with a sawed-off shotgun and points it at her and tells her to get in the fucking camper and that the only way she was leaving out of there was in a body bag. Fuck. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's all kind of crazy shit. And all this stuff is, like... You've got several witnesses to all of the stuff that seen it, they heard it. Even he even shot the gun off into the ground. I mean, so I mean, people know all this. It's not just like rumors or hearsay or anything like that. There's at least five to ten witnesses to all this stuff. So, the day of DJ's death, they all slept in the camper that night. Him and Brandy gets up and they walk up to the house. And DJ starts texting my mom. And he, he was texting several people, but because I never got to see that phone, they didn't take it into evidence. The only text messages that I know of are the ones from his like Facebook account. I, had, I got access to his Facebook account. So I know who he was reaching out to, who he was you know, talking to. And then, of course, he, my mom's messages. So he, was, he starts texting my mom, telling her, you got to come get me now. I'm going to end up dead here. And my mom's response was, I'm sorry, DJ, I'm, I can't, I'm sick. At the time, my mom was really sick. She was scheduled to have a pacemaker put in the following week. The doctor told her to stay away from stressful situations and 
with DJ and Brandy, it was always a stressful situation. I mean, he just, he just for 20 minutes, he went, you know, just kept going on and on about, you got to come get me, I'm going to end up dead here. If, you know, don't make me beg, it'll save my life. And he's sending messages to other people telling them, please come get me, it's a life and death situation. And nobody took him serious, you know, because we all knew that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't strange for him and this guy to be into it and fighting and everything over his wife. So nobody took it seriously. And three minutes, three minutes after the last text message was sent, the boyfriend that DJ wife was having an affair with calls 911 and tells them, hey, we got a guy here that shot himself. And it went downhill from there. It was like a domino effect. From the time 911 was called all the way through, they fucked up so bad at every turn. So when the initial investigation you know, was over with. Was there any kind of in-depth investigation? I wouldn't say there was a thorough in-depth investigation. It was basically when they arrived on the scene, they questioned him and asked him what happened. And he told them what happened. Then they questioned Brandy, the wife, which was a witness to it. But they questioned her right in front of him. He was standing right over her shoulder. So she was hysterical. She was scared. She was in shock. She didn't say anything. They couldn't get anything out of her. My mom showed up on the scene right when the detective was leaving, and she told him to get gunshot residue off of everybody that was there. Because we knew it wasn't a suicide, you know. I mean, that was well known. We kind of suspected what happened, but we just didn't know who, who was it. We didn't know if it was the wife or the boyfriend that did it, or both. But, yeah, there was no... Really, there was, there was never a thorough investigation. They didn't tape off the crime scene. They were letting people just go in and out of the house. Matter of fact, the boyfriend comes out while the detective's there, and he's like, hey, can I start cleaning this stuff up? And he tells him, sure, why not? And the dude burns the couch that's in the trailer. It's not even his couch. Nobody gave him permission to do that, but he just goes, along, you know, goes ahead and throws it on the burn pile and burns it up. That's because he knew he was destroying evidence. Of course, the detectives didn't know this at the time, but DJ was right-handed. It, it says in the investigation report that he was shot in the left corner of his cheek at his lip area at a downward angle, and it looks like, it, it, the detective said it looked like the gun was placed at the corner of his lip, a contact wound. So, there's no fucking, with a shotgun, there's no fucking way. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. And the thing about it is, DJ wasn't depressed. He wasn't suicidal. He wasn't depressed. Him and his wife had just got back together. He was on cloud nine. He was happy. He was just wanting to get the hell out of there because he knew something was fixing to happen. But they, they, like I said, they basically just went with what the murderer told them. The detective that was on the scene, he was, he, he was actually a really young detective that was still in training. So he kind of caught on that, that there was something wrong because the guy had told him three different stories within a 45-minute time frame. He changed his stories three different times. So the detectives piled on to those red flags. So he, he, he did look into it a little further, but it was like it wasn't wait, you know, worth his time, you know. So when did you actually find out about the, the angle of the gun and everything like that? How, how much time passed before you found out that information? Before I found out, like the exact details i would say it was probably about two or three weeks after the fact 
when you got that information, was that the moment you were like, I fucking knew it? The day it happened was the day that I knew it. I mean, I knew it from the day it happened that he didn't kill himself. I just didn't know who was at fault, you know. But here you actually had somewhat of proof, right? You know, when he when they said where he was, the, the side he was shot on, I think, matter of fact, it was probably the day after his death or kind of still a blur. I mean, I can tell you the day back to back every second, but the days after that are kind of a blur. Yeah. But, uh... It, it was just a couple of days after he was shot that I found out where, like, what side of his face he was shot on. I didn't know the angle or anything for a couple of weeks. But, uh, yeah, as soon as I heard, you know, the angle and all that, I was like, there's no fucking way. That's impossible. And when you got that information, did you take it, you know, and just be like, hey, listen, are you guys going to start investigating this as a murder as opposed to a suicide now? Or how did that kind of all unfold? Oh yeah, I was on I was on top of the, the detective emails every day. Every day I was emailing the I was emailing the detective. I was emailing the coroner. I was emailing the sheriff. Of course, the only one that responded was the detective, and he was always short. And I didn't always get a response from him. But we had set up a meeting to go talk to him, and we went in there and talked to him. Brandy, we took Brandy down there on the they was killed on the third. On the fifth, she she wanted to go down there and talk to him. And she went down there and she told him everything. I mean, she told him everything that happened. No shit. Word for fucking word. I have the interview. I mean, she told him word for word everything. And there was another witness. They It took them a while to track him down because nobody knew his name. He, he went by, by a nickname. And they didn't know his real name. But I think it, was, it took them about a week to get, find him and track him down. And when he went in there... He kind of like went along with the suicide story, but the the investigators seen that he could tell they could tell by the way he was talking that him and the the murderer had like got together and got their stories straight, you know, because it, it was like word for word. Yeah, he was coached exactly, and they even asked him, "Have you talked to him?" Oh no, and then then he changes his mind. Yeah, I did, and uh, he told him. He told me to go along with this and tell him it was a suicide. So there's two witnesses that seen it happen. But the girl actually went in there and put it all out there, though, right? Yeah, she went in there and told him exactly word for word what happened. And it, the, like I said, the second witness didn't right off the first, you know, right at the beginning. He didn't go word for word. But after they, after they interviewed him a couple of times, his story was the same one that Brandy had that he knew for a fact that the boyfriend came out of the bedroom behind DJ's left side with a gun cocked and loaded. He said it, he knew how some gun works. It was a single shot, sawed off shotgun. He said it was cocked and loaded and he pointed it at DJ and he said something to the effects of, I'll kill you, you motherfucker. And DJ looks up and the gun goes off. And that's exactly what Brandy said happened. And when they got that information, they did nothing with it? They did nothing with it. I actually have the recording of them when they were interviewing a couple of the witnesses after the witnesses left and they were just talking among themselves. This was like seven days after his death. They were saying, the the detectives were talking about themselves and they were like, well, we're going to have to put all this together, lay it out for the DA to see if he's going to bring charges. And one of the detectives says, oh, he'll definitely want to bring charges if nothing else involuntary manslaughter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
And so it was like a it was like a week after DJ was killed, they already knew that it was at least involuntary manslaughter. And that was before they started interviewing other people and getting the, you know, the facts of everything. How many people were there? Um, there was a total of eight people there. And when it happened, they all like just scattered and ran out and yeah. left, you know, they didn't want to be a part. Yeah, they scattered. It was because, like I said, it was a tra- you know, drug house. They ain't going to want the law there. Yeah, true, true. But the fact that you have people corroborating the story eyewitness accounts did you feel some s- sense of relief like okay like good something's finally going to get done and then just nothing happened well, we figured that with all this information that was coming out that yeah they were going to you know he was going to get charged he was going to be arrested he would be charged we didn't even figure it would have to go to a grand jury that you know there was a Two witnesses to it. That's enough to arrest somebody right there on the spot. But we were still having to wait for the results of the autopsy because they had sent DJ to the GBI for an autopsy. The coroner had sent DJ to the GBI with the information that it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound that he killed himself and that there was a witness that had witnessed him do it, which would have been the boyfriend. Oh, shit. And that's the only information that they had. They never, the detectives and the GBI never interacted with each other. They never picked up the phone and called each other. They never emailed each other. They didn't have any contact with each other whatsoever. The, the autopsy, it, they called it a limited autopsy. It took like 30 minutes from start to finish. They didn't cut him open or they didn't, I mean, they didn't do anything like that. It was basically just like a visual autopsy. Yeah. There's seven, there's seven pictures of the autopsy. That's it, just seven. Those pictures, out of those seven pictures... Uh, even then, though, sorry to interrupt you, but even then, wouldn't they be able to tell that the shot came from a, going from a downward angle? Yeah, it, it says that in the autopsy report that it was from left to right, front to back, and downward. And that didn't strike them as fucking odd? Nope. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Later on down the line, when I got my private, I hired the private investigator, and he went and talked to her, and you know, gave her all the information that she never had, and she supposedly went over it, which she never did. She calls my private investigator back, and her logic is that they did a toxicology screening on DJ, and because he had a stimulant in his system, that it was still a suicide. It was still consistent with a suicide. Because the stimulant is, you know, it makes you alert and hyper and active. So he should have been able to defend himself from a gun. That makes no fucking sense. That makes no it's fucking sense. It's the dumbest logic I've ever heard of. She's trying to make it, in, she was trying to make it into a drug case, and it's not a drug case. Yeah. I mean, he didn't OD, you know. Drugs have nothing to do with it. Yeah. Amanda, I wouldn't even consider that logic. You know what I mean? It sounds like a fucking excuse. It's not. It's <laughs> it not. sounds like a fucking excuse. It's a fucking joke to me. Yeah. I seriously laugh at it. I have to laugh at it because that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And this is a professional forensic pathologist. You've covered a couple of cases on GBI. You know they ain't all there in the head. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have. There's one in particular. That we disagree I don't, on. I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> um the fact, and, and I get it. I mean, I get it. But yeah. my my thing is, and it's not just with this, not with that case. I'm not even talking about yeah, that yeah. case. I've 
because I've had to deal with GBI, yeah. I, you know, I've done my research on GBI because of my brother. So it's not, you know, to take that case off the table completely. Yeah. I'm in agreement on your brother's case. Right. But if you take that other case off the table completely, I have so many cases from GBI that are so similar to this. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's crazy the shit that they've done down there and they're still doing it and getting away with it. Hopefully that, you know, I think it was last year before last, they got a new director at the GBI. Yeah. So hopefully he gets them put in their place. But GBI is messed up. They do some messed up stuff down there. I can definitely see where you're coming from because there's actually a couple other cases that I'm familiar with from down there that I haven't covered that are very, very sloppy in those regards. But I guess for me personally, a lot of the accountability too needs to be put on the local, uh, at the local level, you know, and the actual, you know, pathologist coroner, whatever the case is. I mean, and trust me, I totally agree with you because this is your brother's cases is totally fucked up. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot more other pieces, you know, involved there, especially at the local level when you have more than one in law enforcement agency that can't fucking communicate with each other, you know, like that's, that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a, you know, shit, shit rolls downhill, I guess you could say. It's been almost five years since they was killed. And to this day, the sheriff has never spoken to our family. And it's not from lack of trying. We went down there to, to try to see him. We called. I've left him. God, I couldn't tell you how many emails I've sent him. And he will not speak to us. And even if it was a suicide, I just think a sheriff of a county should at least have the, uh, you know, the... Professionalism. Common courtesy. Or a heart to sit down and say, hey, look, I'm sorry for your loss. I mean, that's all you have to say, but at least say it, you know? But he, he won't. He's actually tried to make the case even worse because when they finally did change the manner of death, then he wants to jump on a camera in front of a news crew and say that changing the manner of death is not a reason to reopen a case, that anything, it convolutes the case, and that he was still leaning towards the fact that nobody killed DJ. No, that's that's exactly when, when you change the manner of death, that is a fucking legitimate reason <laughs> right. to reopen a case. I mean... That's the exact reason. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the whole point of changing the manner of death. That is fucked. It, it was because what it, it is is they changed after years of, uh, years of fighting with these people at GBI because they kept running me in circles. The local county sheriff's office, the detectives would say that they couldn't do anything about it, that it would have to be GBI that done it. The GBI would be like, that's a local issue. You're going to have to take it up with them. Oh, yeah. They just ran me back and forth, you know. And so I finally got a meeting with the director of GBI because he blocked me on social media, and that was a violation of civil rights, and he knew it. So I got lucky on that. I got a meeting with him, and uh, the meeting didn't go well. He was he was. He was an asshole. I'll just say it. He was an asshole. But he agreed to review the case in its entirety, everything that had, you know, they had, and they would they would see what they could do. He calls me back like a month, a month and a half and tells me that they had changed the cause of death from suicide to undetermined, that after reviewing the information, mm-hmm. that in their opinion, 
it wasn't a suicide and that, that would, that's what they would testify to if it went to trial. So if you don't mind, let's back up a little bit. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about this PI and when that when that person got involved and, you know, what their reaction was to the case and stuff like that? Yeah, actually, I got to get Eric's name out there. He's awesome. Um, Sounds like it. <laughs> Eric Eskels. He's a, he is. He's like a brother to me now. He's part of my family. Um, I hired him August of 2017. I reached out to him on Facebook, and I think I actually reached out to him a couple times on Facebook before he acknowledged me, <laughs> but I'm used to that with these people. Anyways, he he agreed to meet with me, and he wanted me to just hand him everything I had to him. He said, I don't want you to tell me what you think happened. I don't want you to tell me opinions, you know, theories, rumors, nothing. He said, I want to look at it myself and come up with my own conclusion. I said, okay, no problem. So we meet, and I give him everything. Two or three days later, he calls me back, and he says, your brother was murdered. And I'm like, yeah, you're telling me something I already know, dude. <laughs> so I hired him. You know, he, he started working on the case. He got a he got an appointment set up with a medical examiner. He, that's when I said he, he went to see her, and he presented everything to her. I mean, he sat there for three hours going over stuff with her. And, he I mean, he showed her video interviews. He, I actually went and interviewed one of the witnesses myself after the case was closed. We had that, and he, he took that to her. And the the guy says it in the interview. He says, DJ, it wasn't a suicide. DJ did not kill himself. And, I mean, all that, and she still wouldn't budge. That's when she calls him back and tells him because DJ had meth in this system that she was leaving it as a suicide. That's, no, that has, that's not even related. Like, that's, that's dumb as shit. thing about it is, is, Math is an upper. It's an, no, it for makes sure. You, you know, yeah, it's definitely a stimulant. Yeah. It makes you hopper, you know. Yeah, it's a stimulant. People that are usually on stimulants don't usually kill themselves. It's people that are on downers that usually kill themselves. Yeah, usually. And she didn't mention the fact that they had marijuana in his system. We didn't know that, which we knew he had marijuana in his system. It's DJ, but... <laughs> yeah. We didn't know that until we got the toxicology report back. But... Uppers and downers like that can counter-react drugs. Oh, for I mean, sure. Mass is a strong drug, so it wasn't doing much, but yeah. still, I mean, she didn't mention that. You know, she said because he had a stimulant in his system that it was suicide. Well, hello, he had a depressant in his system, too, you know? She would have just came, she would have just used that as the same excuse. Well, regardless of what, what he had in his system, like, that's just literally an excuse. that ha- That should have nothing to do with, like, the physical evidence, you know? Yeah, because it's not an overdose. It wasn't a drug-related yeah. case. No. So drugs are mute in this whole case, you know. It doesn't matter what his lifestyle was or what he was doing. Yeah. What matters is the fact that he's got a fucking fist-sized wound on the side of his face from a shotgun. And witnesses to back up that it was exactly. not a suicide, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Why? I mean, what more do you need? You've got eyewitnesses. You've got the wound, you know, the bullet path, you know, where it's located. You've got all this, and you don't have any kind of forensics or ballistic testing done because you didn't do your fucking job. Yeah. Because they took the gun into evidence. They took the gun into evidence. Never, It's still in evidence. They have yet to test that gun for fingerprints or anything else. They said that they didn't test it for fingerprints 
because the boyfriend admitted to touching the gun. They actually instructed him to touch the gun. They told him to take the gun and unload it and secure it on the 911 call. So because he touched the gun, they said that they didn't take fingerprints from it because his prints would be on it. Okay, yeah, I get that. I know his fingerprints are going to be on it. Yeah. Unless you can tell me that my brother's fingerprints are on it. Exactly, that exactly. That's about what I was, I was about ready to say that. They could at least test to see if his fingerprints were on it. Yeah, it's common sense. It's a fucking job. No, I agree. I agree. When the PI started gathering all this information and came to the conclusion that he did and he took the information to a higher level, is that how you got your meeting with the new head of the GBI? No. It took three years. Three years is how long we've been fighting it before we got into there to get into there to see the director. What it was is the I, I like to tweet, and I'm blunt. Oh, and I know. Oh, I, re- I remember that. I remember I don't, that. <laughs> yeah, I called him I was out following on you when all that went down. <laughs> he, he blocked me because I, I would, you know, tag him in tweets. I didn't, I didn't actually, like, go on his page and tweet him or anything. I just added him to a tweet, you know. And I guess he got tired of seeing me, and he blocked me. And when he bought me, I took a screenshot of it, and I posted it on social media, and, of course, it blew up. Everybody was like, are you fucking kidding me? And uh, I had a civil rights attorney reach out to me and tell me that he was violating my civil rights because he is a government entity, you know, that they can't, they can't silence you and do stuff like that. And she told me to email him and ask him to unblock me, and I did. He could either ignore my email and he would have had a lawsuit against him or he responded to me and confirmed that was his email, you know, so I kind of had him there. So he did, he did reply to the email and he told me that he was, he, it wasn't his intentions to block me, that he was trying to shut down the page. And I played stupid and I was like, I understand, no problem, but while I have you here, can we talk about my brother's case? It would really make me happy if you would just sit and talk with us for five minutes. And I was like, you don't even have to speak to the family. You can speak to the private investigators. I just would really like for you to listen to what we have to say. And he, he agreed. So that's how we got the meeting with the GBI. Because you don't get meetings with the lead state law enforcement. You, that don't happen. So. And it's still nothing came of it. When was this meeting? Uh, that meeting was June of last year. No, when we had the meeting, that's when they actually changed the manner of death. And then after that, on the local level is when they said, that doesn't mean we have to open, reopen the investigation. That's what the sheriff said. I bypassed the sheriff. Okay. Because he's okay. an idiot. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah for he's sure. an idiot. I'm tired of fooling with him. Funny thing here. The exact same day DJ's manner of death got changed, the DA that had been in office for 23 years retired that same day. So we had a new DA. Oh, well. Did the DA even see any of this information? Yeah, oh yeah, we left out that part. They um, they actually presented the case to the DA, and within a week, they had told me, the detectives told me that this was a really big case, it had a lot of information to it, that it would take a while for the DA to go over it. No, within a week... They they closed the fucking case. They were like, no, it's suicide. There's not enough information, not enough evidence. We're, you know, we we can't do nothing about it. We're closing it, blah blah blah. And they had us come in for that meeting. And every time we would ask them a question, it was like they would 
they would change the subject. They would blow us off. They would just ignore it. They would look at each other like they were stupid, like they didn't know what we were talking about. The DA just sat back there in the corner and didn't say a word. It was just the two detectives that were talking to us. But, yeah, I mean, they just blew it off. And I I know what it was. The the DA got the autopsy report. He read the autopsy report. And that's the only fucking thing he looked at. And he's like, yeah, it was a suicide. We're closing it. So he didn't even get into the eyewitness statements and... I don't believe he did. He didn't have he didn't have time to go into this. So where is the case at now, as we speak? Just kind of in limbo, or in like I said, August of last year, the uh, the GBI did change the manner of death from suicide to undetermined. We got a new DA. January of this year, we met with the DA, and he was he was great. It was a really really good meeting. We were in there with him for over an hour. He was open-minded. He listened to us. We went over the case with him, but we also gave him, like, a flash drive that had the main points of the case. But he said that he would he would review it, and he would see what he could do. And so, yeah, that's where we're at now. We're just waiting around to see what's going on with them. So as you, you said your, uh, your PI is still working with you, Eric? Yes, he's still right there by my side. He's all, he's all about justice. That's all he cares about. No, that's fucking awesome, though. That's what's that's what's most important. And there's not there's not many private investigators that will pull over on the side of the interstate when you're in a crisis mode and having a meltdown just to talk you through it. So yeah, he's he's my rock. He's my support system. He's he's been there for me since, like I said, since I started fighting, and and he's not going anywhere. Now, I also know, obviously, I follow you on social media, and your case has been featured on quite a few podcasts at this point. How has the social media reaction been? You know, I, I know you've got, you always get a lot of positive feedback, you know, and I'm sure there's always, you know, those few trolls out there, whatever, but... To be honest, I've not had to deal with the trolls. The only trolls that I have to deal with, that I've had to deal with through this last five years is the ones that are associated with this guy that killed my brother. That's mm-hmm. the only ones that I've had to deal with. As far as, like, the rest of the world goes, there's been two people that, in this, like, in the first couple of years, they would just read one article, and they were like, oh, this is just somebody that don't want to accept their loved one killed themselves. And mm-hmm. I've always been polite about it. I've always been nice about it, I, I, you know, and I would tell them, are you just going by what you read on this article or have you actually went and looked at the case files and looked at the investigation and everything? And I would, you know, I tell them, go look at, go look at everything and then come back and give me, a, you know, give me your opinion. And both people have changed their mind. Matter of fact, one of them was a podcaster. He went into this thinking it was a suicide. And after he went through the rabbit hole, down the rabbit hole, he apologized to me. He's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not had to deal with it. Well, and that's, I think you dealt with it in the best way that you could have. And it's like, okay. And we all can, I'm pretty sure you're even, what's the word I'm looking for? You're a logical enough person to know that there are cases, unfortunately, out there like that. Yeah, I do. And I get that. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, nobody will say that their loved one killed themselves. Exactly. Nobody wants to accept that unless, you know, they were like, well, he kind of saw it coming or he said he was going to fucking do it or this, that, and the other. Um, I think you handled that the best way possible, though. It's like, okay, you can think that, but 
here's all the information. Tell me what you think. And I've always been like that. I'm, I've never wanted to persuade someone to think that, you know, DJ killed herself or DJ didn't kill herself. I have put it out there and I let people form their own opinion. And since day one, everybody that looks at this case knows exactly what fucking happened. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, it's just hard to believe that you have the, the evidence and the fact that, and this is coming from somebody who, you know, formerly had a huge problem with drugs. Whether he was on drugs or not, that's no bearing on a death investigation of this of this type. Like, that should have no bearing on how seriously you take it or if you write it off. And, and that's exactly the way I think they're treating it. They have treated it since day one as, oh... He's just another drug addict off the street. And that's bullshit, Dustin. I don't give crap what you do. I don't care if you smoke dope. I don't care if you shoot dope up. I don't care if you're a prostitute. I don't care what you are, what you do. That's your lifestyle. I don't care. You still deserve justice if someone kills you. I mean, it could, you know, anybody could be killed. Anybody can be killed at any given time in this day and age. I mean, you can go to the grocery store and there be a mass murderer in there, you know, shooting up the place, and you're just at the wrong time at the wrong wrong place at the wrong time. So your lifestyle doesn't have anything to do with getting murdered. Let me ask you this. Where can everybody get a hold of you social media-wise? What are your pages? Uh, where can they, where's the best places to find information about DJ's case? Um, he has a website, uh, justicefordj.com. I am on Twitter under justicefordj. 88. I am on Instagram under Justice for DJ. I'm under Facebook at Justice for DJ. And I'm even on TikTok. I don't post a lot on TikTok, but I'm on TikTok under Justice for DJ. Well, I tell you what, listeners, pretty easy to find. Just look for the orange. Yeah, the orange. Even though he was a Tennessee fan, come on, man. Yeah, I know. I had to convert. I had to convert for DJ. I had to carry on his legacy. <laughs> no, that's totally fair. Because I remember, like, the first time you're like, hey, would you mind, you know, on this day changing your profile picture just to something orange or this? And I'm like, orange? It's like, yeah, uh, DJ uh-huh. DJ was a Tennessee fan. I'm like, the fuck? It's like, you guys are from Georgia. <laughs> you know, it's like, isn't that blasphemy down there? You have in Georgia. You have the Alabama or the ten. You actually have the Alabama or Georgia fans, and yeah. then you have like the just a few specks of orange in there for Tennessee. But we actually <laughs> live in Alabama now, and it is like a sin to wear orange down here in Alabama. And I have it sporting it everywhere. <laughs> oh man, here we go. <laughs> it just means I stand out. It means I stand out, and they get my you know yeah. I get their attention more. Hey, you know what? If anything, they'll come up and ask you about it, and then you can tell them. Be like, hey, this is what this is about. And bam, you get more information out I there. I had, on my, old, on my old vehicle, I had a Tennessee, a huge Tennessee decal. It was a Tennessee T decal on my back window of my SUV. And then inside the decal, it said, rest in peace, baby brother. It's actually my profile picture that's on, that was on my SUV. And um, I had somebody ask me one day, they were like, you don't give any shit from people about that tea on your SUV. And another guy walks up and he's like, she better not. Apparently the first guy just seen the tea and didn't see what it said inside the tea. And the second guy did see what it said. 
Yeah, good. I don't have no problem getting attention about the DJ's case. I'm not had. I mean, yeah, I've been ignored, but I'm very persistent with people. I don't give up. So no, he just had a lot of coverage. Social media is a very good tool that people, you know, don't get me wrong. As you know, we're friends on Facebook and shit. You know, I'm kind of a shit poster most of the time, but I do raise awareness for certain things. So it's it's a you good do. tool. You do. Yeah, it's a good tool to use, you know. Um, but I think where people go off the rails is they take it too seriously sometimes. you got to have a little bit of fun on there. I agree. And I know, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of spun out the last couple of weeks. <laughs> no, well, I <laughs> I knew you had a bad last week because I of our conversation, and you're just like, thank you, and I'm like, what? I'm fucking sorry, you know, and you're like, no, I appreciate it. It's not it's your like, fault. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm just still... <laughs> glad that you were honest because I and I knew you'd be honest. You were that's why I came to you for you know to talk to you because I was like, I'm. You know, this motherfucker is blunt, he's honest, and he's going to give it to me straight. So that's why I, I asked you. Yeah, well, some people don't appreciate that. Some people like their, uh, you know, their fucking bread buttered, and they want to hear what they what they want to hear, and they want to get pandered and all this shit. And it's like, if you ask me an honest question, I'm going to give you a fucking honest answer, you know. It's, it's the way it is. Yeah, so. I'm the same way. Sometimes <laughs> you don't even have to ask me. I'll just give you my fucking opinion. <laughs> I know, dude. It happens with me all the time. I have to bite my tongue because I'm not the same person now that I was five years ago. Five mm-hmm. years ago, if you would have met me, you would have probably thought, yeah, I'm not going there with her. Because I was a very <laughs> blunt, out there, don't care if I pissed you off kind of person. And since DJ has gotten killed, I've had to bite my tongue and keep my mouth shut a lot. I can't argue with anybody. I can't offend anybody. Because that I have to have everybody listen to me. You know, the more people yeah. I have listened to me, the more DJ's case gets out there. So I can't take the chance on offending anyone or anyone getting pissed off at me. And I hate that because it's so frustrating not to voice your opinion on some stuff. Well, and it's it sucks because you're not allowed to be yourself, basically. Exactly. Yeah. I've had to change who I am, and I hate that. I'm yeah. in this building of I'll be if this ever gets closure as far as justice. Oh my god! <laughs> Shit's I'm gonna have gonna go down. to delete me on Facebook. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, everybody's gonna be deleting me. All my followers are gonna start following. Yeah. No, I think it'll be the other way around. I think you'll start going through and deleting the fuck out of people. Be like, don't need you anymore. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, I've already I've already got the post like in my head of what I'm going to post on there. Yeah, I've already got it. Uh, image of it of what I'm already going to say. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. All right, Amanda. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk about your brother. And, you know, hopefully we can help get some more awareness out there about the case. If anything else, more people are going to hear about it and, you know, look further into it. And, you know, hopefully you get, get some more followers on your, on your social media and stuff like that because every ear counts, you know. Exactly. I mean, I started with one person, you know, I just, that's, I started with one. That's it. So social yeah. media is the best way to get the cases out there. Yes, ma'am. Well, I and appreciate, I appreciate it. you finally <laughs> interviewing me. I know it took me forever. No, I started, okay. I started looking into it and I basically got as far as I got as far as the point where 
I knew there it was questionable enough to go ahead and go forward. Right. It was a situation to where, I mean, the timing-wise, I, I don't know. Um, I took a couple weeks off. I took a break uh, a couple weeks ago, and I took like two weeks off, and that's when I took the time to start going through, you know, some of the cases and, and suggestions and stuff like that. And I've always had yours there at the top of the list, and I was like, all right, let's, let's look into this, you know. And um, like I said, as soon as I hit the point where it was questionable, that's when I was like, okay, I need to reach out. I know you know the case right. better than anybody else, so... I don't just tell you theories and, like I said, I don't tell you rumors and theories and opinions. Yeah. I have everything to back up what I say. Yeah. I have it all, so... Exactly. You know, that's what I was telling you, you know, I've got it all. I, you want me to prove it? I can prove it, no problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll do it. No, and that's, uh, you. like I said, you're always, you've always been a straight shooter, like... We were talking earlier, for my listeners, like, I've known Amanda for damn near almost exactly two years from when when we met. I mean, I think, I'm pretty sure we talked before, before Yeah, New we were Orleans. following each other before that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then I actually got the chance to meet you, and I still, I still wear that, that bracelet, too. I haven't taken it off yet, so, two years yeah, later. Yeah, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. I've collected so many bracelets on my wrist, I can't keep up. <laughs> Yeah, I try to, I try to, and the best part is, is like, um, you know, when people ask me about it, that's, you know, that's my time to say, okay, like, here's the deal. Obviously, you know, not everybody's into, you know, this kind of stuff. So <laughs> the ones that are like, oh, shit, I'm going to check that out. And it's like, you really should, you know, because it's fucked up. Yeah. And uh, they do. Yeah, so. it is. It's really fucked up. I mean, just think about it, Justin. I mean... If a case this so black and white has flipped through the cracks and justice hasn't been served and there's a murderer out there, just imagine how many cases that don't have this much evidence have floating around out there. Nothing's being done. No, I totally agree, and that's a very, very good point. Very good point. Scary thought, too. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, it was good talking to you, and I hope you have a good rest of the night, Amanda. Thank you, you too. Thank you for having me on here. Ah, no problem. I'll talk to you later. All right, bye. Bye.